0: I want you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 23. I want to talk to you tonight about the eternal word. While you're doing that, I'm going to read real quickly some uh, scriptures from the New Testament, some things Jesus said about the word of God, and then we'll catch up with you in Numbers 23. Matthew 5:18, Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. But my word shall not pass away. Mark 13 verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Luke chapter 16 and verse 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Luke 21 verse 33, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Jesus seems to be making a point about the truth of the word of God and the surety that it is for us when we act upon it in our lives. Numbers 23, verse 19, God, speaking of himself, said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, meaning void of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Over and over and over again, folks, the Bible tells us that God watches over his word to perform it, that he's faithful to bring it to pass in every case and in every situation. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, got me stirred up about this and brought me to, to teaching this this evening, in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 30, it says, there is no wisdom or understanding or understanding nor counsel against the Lord and what that means is what God said is true no matter how much we want to kick or fight or fuss God's word is the truth but people come up with all kinds of reasons not to obey the word or not to put it in practice in their lives and every one of those are some means of natural or physical justification to keep from doing what God's word said now why is there such a resistance to doing what God's word tells us to do. Doesn't seem like there should be. And there isn't for those that have found God to be faithful to honor his word. But every excuse that anybody comes up with. Is an attempt at exercising wisdom. Against the counsel of God. Jesus told us when he was talking about the parable of the sower sowing the word. He talked about the different types of ground. The wayside. The wayside which didn't produce anything from the seed of the word, the thorny ground, the rocky ground, and the good ground. Jesus mentions five things there that people use, or or he identifies as reasons why people either turn loose of the word or never apply it in their lives. He mentions those five things to be affliction, trouble, hardship, circumstances that the devil throws at you to make you give up, persecution, persecution, Being persecuted against or slandered in some cases because of your belief in God and stand for God. And then the other three are deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, and the last one is lusts or desires for other things. Some people just want some things more than they want the word. They want some things that they're pursuing in life, whatever it is that they are pursuing, more. Than the truth of God's word and the blessings and the benefits that it brings now the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word should be established so we don't want to try to build a doctrine just on one thing or even two things let's look at some situations where people had the opportunity to act on the word sometimes they did sometimes they didn't Numbers chapter 13 tells us the story I hope you all know it you may not know where it is but I hope you all know the story or remember the story it's a pivotal place or event in the lives of the Israelites. They come to the edge of the promised land. God has delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, which is a type of us being delivered from the bondage of sin and the power of the devil. God parts the Red Sea, or literally Moses parts the Red Sea, at God's direction. Israel goes over on dry ground, and when Pharaoh's armies chase in after them, the waters come together and they're all drowned. Well, two and a half years later or so, they come to the edge of the promised land, and the 12 spies go into the promised land to check things out. Ten of them came back saying that the land's everything God said that it was, but there are people that live there, and the people that live there have walls around their cities, they have strongholds, they have greater armies than we do, and we just can't take what God said is ours. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, refused to be influenced by what they saw and they said God is on our side we're well able to take it now he saw the same things that those two Caleb and Joshua saw the same things that the other 10 saw what made the difference in how they handled the situation two of them just simply said God said it's ours we can do it what basis do they have to believe that they'll be able to do it certainly not the circumstances They don't look at the walls around Jericho and say, oh, those aren't too big. They were too big. They didn't look at the enemies and the armies, whatever military defenses the enemies had set up. They didn't say, oh, this is nothing. We can take this because their armies were not as strong as the enemies. What they acted on, the one thing that they acted on, the one thing that made the difference in how they responded to the circumstances was a decision they made to accept God at his word. Now they had all kinds of excuses not to, and the other 10 tell us about the excuses that they found not to believe the word, the walls around the cities, the enemies in the land. And they allowed those circumstances to change their point of view or establish a point of view or the way that they saw themselves. They said with their mouths, We are like grasshoppers compared to our enemies and that's the way we see ourselves to be. Caleb and Joshua as I said saw the same circumstances, saw the same things and because they knew and relied on the fact that God said I've given you the promised land they said sure we can take it. If God hadn't said it was ours we wouldn't have been able to but he said that it belongs to us so we can take it. Well Israel did not take it the promised land at that time. They rebelled against God and there was great tragedy that came against them and they wound up spending 40 years in the wilderness wandering around, not because that's where God wanted them to be, it was his will for them to take the promised land when they first came to it, but they thwarted and rejected the will of God based on the things that they saw and the emotions that it stirred in them as a result. The devil uses your emotions against you. At least he tries to. It's only those that are grounded in the word that won't allow that to happen. I'm sure Joshua and Caleb had some of the same emotions, the same feelings, or the same thoughts as the others did. But they knew that there was something greater. There was the unchanging, unfailing word of God. So they knew they were on good ground. Another one that the Bible tells us about is in Romans chapter 4, it tells us the story of Abraham and Sarah and how they had a child when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. Paul describes the things that, uh, they, that took place in their journey of faith and their ultimate success in getting, realizing the promise of God in their lives. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 4, Abraham, against hope, believed in hope in other words he didn't have any natural circumstance to look at and say that he could have the child that God had promised he sees how old he is he knows what his body is not performing the areas it's not performing just in comparison to when it did before same thing with Sarah they didn't deny the circumstances Abraham didn't go around saying I'm not a hundred years old I'm not a hundred years old I'm not a hundred years old but he established his hope not in what he saw his physical body doing He established his hope based on what God said. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. What would give him that hope? According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. God had spoken to him about having children. He showed him the stars in the sky. He asked him about the sand on the seashore. He said, how much of each is there? And Abraham said, nobody can number that but you. And the Lord spoke back to him and said, that's the way your children are going to be. Well, it sure didn't look like that's the way his children were going to be. From the time he was about 80 to 85 years old, when he first saw the, the, or he had the experience where God showed him the stars of the sky and told him that's the way it would be. Some 15 or 20 years have passed and nothing has happened. But he came to the place and he wasn't, he didn't seem to be here all the time. this seems to be something that he developed very late in life. He came to the place where he accepted that what God said was true no matter what it looked like. He came to the place where he accepted God's word to be reality. Even though it contradicted everything that he was seeing and feeling around him. Who against hope believed in hope. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be. Now let's put that in in a present context for ourselves. If a person had an incurable disease. Doctors have given up, no hope, nothing can be done. Well, you sure can't put any hope in your physical body if that's the case, can you? There's nothing about that diagnosis or that experience that says to you, oh yeah, healing is mine. It's a report, factual though it may be, it's a report that you're doomed. Well, what are we going to do about that? If only we had a scripture like Abraham had, if only God said something to us about the price and the penalty for sickness and disease having been taken away, then we could believe. Thank God we've got it. Isaiah 53:4 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The word griefs and sorrows there is sickness and pains. He was stricken and smitten of God, and we esteemed him not. But he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5 says. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Both of those have to do with sin. Nobody argues about that part of the verse. Everybody accepts that God paid the price for iniquities and sins. One is the sin nature, Adam's original sin, and the other is our individual sins. Jesus paid the price for both of them. But there's there's more in that scripture. Isaiah 53, 5 goes on to say, He was wounded for our transgressions, uh, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. That word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It means well-being in every area. It's used in the Bible in many occasions translated as prosperity or to prosper. It's translated wealth in some places. It's talking about God having provided for us resources, a claim on the resources here on this earth that we need because of the work of Jesus. And in the last part of the verse, it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And here's the last part. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, God seemed to know that people would argue about what that meant. And some people will twist themselves into all kinds of knots and whatever else, trying to say that that's just talking about spiritual sickness, He just healed our spirits. God didn't heal our spirits. He gave us a new spirit. He took away the old spirit. And he placed a new one on the inside of us. That's what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things passed away. Everything about your spiritual life, everything about your spiritual nature passed away when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. And God seemed to know that people would argue about what that meant And try to talk people out of believing for physical healing. So he gave us a commentary. And it's in Matthew chapter 8 verse 16 and 17. It says when the evening was come they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with the devil. And many that were sick and he healed them all. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah. In other words that it might be fulfilled which was spoken in Isaiah 53.5. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So the Bible describes it. It defines griefs and sorrows as infirmities and sickness. Well, if we've got a promise that says God's already done it, just like Abraham had a promise that he was the father of many nations before he ever had children. He had a promise that his seed would be as the stars of the sky. That means we've got the same right and the same ability to take hold of what God said belongs to us just like Abraham took hold of what God said belonged to him so against hope without physical or natural hope Abraham believed in hope based on what God said to him so shall thy seed be and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb what that simply means he's not operating in denial he's not refusing to see the circumstances there are factual conditions in his body that limit or restrict him from being able to receive what God said. So what does he do? He looks away from what his body's telling him. He looks away. He doesn't deny it. He just says there's a greater truth than the facts of my physical condition. And the physical condition of Sarah. So being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. That simply means he didn't accept it to be the final answer. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He's 100 and she's 90. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He staggered not. If he's not considering his body, if he's not paying attention to his body and using his body and the circumstances thereof as the final word on the subject, what is he looking to? He's looking to the word. He's looking to the promise that God made it. As contrary to his physical condition or physical reality as it is, he's looking at the promise of God and he chooses to be strong in faith. Now notice in verse 19 it says, and being not weak in faith. And notice in verse 20 it says, but he was strong in faith. That's a decision. You can be either one you want. One way works and you receive the blessings of God. The other way doesn't work. And you're robbed of what Jesus rightly paid for, rightfully paid for for you. So he staggers not at the promise of God, but decides to be strong in faith. What does strong faith look like? Well, notice it says he was strong in faith, giving glory to God. First of all, verse 21, here's the second criteria of or second characteristic of strong faith. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. We've got another instance with Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, Paul is recounting, I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. He's recounting the hall of fame type faith that made Abraham the father of faith and our example to follow. This is the story of when Abraham was told by the Lord to offer Isaac as a sacrifice Here's this child that he believed for, that, that miracle child born when Isaiah is 100 years old and Sarah's 90. They do have the son just like God said they would. And it's a testament to their faith. They're exalted. And their testimony is one of believing God no matter what the circumstances were and no matter what they felt about the circumstances. But then several years go by, probably 17 or so years go by, And the Lord speaks to Abraham and says, now take that son that I gave you, Isaac, take him up into the mountain and offer him there as a sacrifice. We don't see any further conversation between Abraham and God about that. We don't see Abraham questioning God saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. This is the child that I believed you for. There's a lot of things you could rationalize and argue with God about. You said it's wrong to kill. You said it's wrong to take a life. I'm certainly not planning to take my own son's life. But Abraham knew that there was something here. A test was taking place that he had to learn and had to follow God who was his partner. So Paul picks up the story and says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, verse 19, notice this. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence he also received him in a figure. Now here's what that means. It means that Abraham recognized that God's promise, the same promise that he received strength, he and Sarah received strength in their bodies to bring forth a child. The same one, the one that God said, so shall your seed be before he was ever born. That same promise of God is still in effect. So shall your seed be. Isaac hadn't started having kids yet. He's not married. He's not having kids yet. And the promise is still the same to Abraham from God. The promise never changes because God never changes. The promise is that Abraham's children would be as the stars of the sky through Isaac. So Abraham thought this through. He reasoned this out. And he came to the conclusion that even if I have to offer him as a sacrifice because God's word is true that so shall your seed be through Isaac, God will raise him from the dead if necessary. And he, he received him as such in a figure. What that simply means is he counted it as already done. If this is the way that it's going to go and if this is what God has to do, so be it. Now let me stop here and go back to one of the other examples that we used. And that was when the children of Israel came over To the promised land, the edge of the promised land, and the 12 spies went in. They saw the walls of Jericho. They concluded that the walls of Jericho and the military defenses and fortifications of their enemies made them unable to take hold of the promised land, even though God said it was theirs. But do you remember, fast forward 40 years, do you remember how Israel took? the next generation led by Joshua went into the promised land and took the city of Jericho. It talks about how God instructed them to walk around the city one time every day for seven days. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times and they were forbidden for that whole week. They were forbidden from speaking anything. Nobody was allowed to talk. Now this is very important because you may remember that 40 years earlier, their mothers and fathers had failed to go into the promised land because of what they said. God said to Israel after they rebelled against him and refused to take the promised land or go in to take it. God said in, in numbers chapter 14 and verse 48, as truly as I live. In other words, he made an eternal promise. He established an eternal principle. He said, as truly as I live and God lives eternally and unchangingly. So the eternal unchanging principle That he's established is as you have spoken in my ear, so shall I do unto you. That's why everything is governed by what we say. Jesus talking about the operation of faith in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, he said, whosoever shall say. Now he's describing the faith of God. Verse 22, he describes the faith of God that cursed the fig tree and caused it to wither wither away overnight. And he says, this is how faith works. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain. He didn't say, Think about the mountain. He didn't say, Pray about the mountain. He said, Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Doubting in the heart is the same thing as being moved by your circumstances, being moved by what you see and feel around you or coming against you. He said, If you'll resist the emotional influence to speak to the contrary, of what you originally say that you desire concerning the mountain or the problem that's facing you. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, not moved by what you see or feel, shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, folks, when we first start speaking in faith, there's no evidence that what we say is going to change things. We've got to accept that just based on what Jesus said. Well, that's what faith is. Faith deals with the unseen. Fear deals with the seen. The ten spies came back afraid because of what they saw. Caleb and Joshua saw the same things, but they just refused to fear. They chose to believe that God was on their side. Now, do you think that Caleb and Joshua never had a thought that maybe this is too big for us? Do you think when they were in the promised land with the rest of the 12, they looked around and they're just seeing things as easy? Walls of Jericho, piece of cake, no problem. The defenses of our enemies, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the giants in the land, no problem. Folks, they saw the same things and had the same thoughts come against their mind. But they chose to speak in line with what God had said. That's what faith does. Faith looks at the situation. This is healing, so we'll use healing as an example. Faith looks at the sickness that may be present in the body and says, I may not have any natural hope. I may not have anything in my physical body that gives me hope. But I know there's one hope, and that is Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. Well, you remember how the walls of Jericho came down. Seventh day, they walk around seven times. At the end of those seven times around the city of Jericho, Joshua gives the uh, instruction, the command to shout. And they shouted with all they were worth. And then the walls came down. Now, the Bible says the walls fell flat. King James' English translation says the walls fell flat. Literally, what that means is the earth opened up and swallowed the walls. Because if the archaeology reports are accurate... The walls were 100 feet high and 50 feet deep. So if the wall just falls flat on the ground, you've still got a 50 foot barrier. But that's not what happened. What happened was the the ground opened up. The walls of Jericho came flat onto the ground at ground level. And Israel walked into the city. Who's ever heard of a fight being one like that? Now folks, my point is simply this, in both Abraham's case, we don't have any record of anybody being raised from the dead up to that point. So resurrection from the dead would be a brand new thing that's never been done before as far as Abraham's concerned. And we would consider if we talked about that and and thought it through and tried to come up with a plan, nobody's going to imagine that to be the case, except Abraham, because Abraham had a promise. So Abraham took the position that whatever God has to do to make good on his promise, he will do it. Caleb and Joshua took that same position. I don't have any uh, any evidence in the scripture anywhere, nobody does, that Caleb and Joshua expected the walls of Jericho to be swallowed up. But the point is simply this. When you've got God's word because Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away before one little bit of God's promise was fulfilled... When you've got God's word for it, him doing the impossible is no big deal. If that's what he has to do to make good on his word, so be it. So Abraham goes up on the mountain. He prepares the sacrifice. Somewhere along the way, he's going to have to explain to Isaac what we're doing. So he ties him up. He lays him on the altar to be sacrificed. And he raises the knife. My mind kind of goes tilt on some of this. Because as a father, I have to wonder would I have been willing to do that. But remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When God spoke to Abraham to do it, that gives him the strength. That provides for him the strength of faith to carry out whatever he told him to do. The reason I have a hard time wondering or thinking about whether or not I'd be able to do it... I might as well just go ahead and confess I wouldn't be able to do it because God hadn't told me to do it. But when he speaks to you, when you see the reality of his word and take it to heart, it provides a strength that you can make it no matter what. No matter how difficult or critical or serious the diagnosis is, if you get a hold of God's word, it gives you faith to stand against it it gives you faith to stand against it. Well, let's look at another occasion. Got people believing the impossible things now. Look with me to Luke chapter 5. Now this is going to seem minor perhaps in comparison, but I love the details of this story. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret, and saw two ships standing by on the lake but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon. This is Simon Peter. And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So you get the story. He's moved out of the way from the, the water's edge. And he's talking and speaking to the people from just offshore in the little boat or whatever they had. Fishing boat. And when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. drought means catch a fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now what does this describe to us? Well, it implies that Simon Peter, who was in fishing business with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, It indicates that they knew something about fishing. They were professional fishermen. And they knew that you didn't fish during the daytime. Now the reason for that is, at night, the net is covered by darkness. And so fish can't tell or can't see that they're swimming into the net. But in the middle of the day, the sunshine penetrates the, the water deep enough to where the fish can see the net. And if they see the net, they won't go in. So Peter is telling Jesus It's the wrong time of day. The conditions are wrong for fishing. Now that's the point of decision. They've identified what's wrong with this picture. They've identified what the problems are with what the word of God says or in this case what Jesus said to them. Peter knows from his fishing experience that they're not going to catch any fish. And he must assume They came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. They had a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fish because they put their nevertheless on the right thing. See, when you tell people that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, so often they'll say, well, yeah, but. Here's what the doctor said. That's the same thing as saying nevertheless. God's word may say we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Nevertheless, the doctors have given me a short amount of time. Or the doctors say that there's nothing they can do. Or whatever the diagnosis is. When you put the nevertheless on the circumstances. And say, well, it may be true that sickness or disease has attached itself to my body. And it may be true that in most cases this Gives a cer- certain period of lifespan available to people that, rec- that uh, contract these diseases. But when you add nevertheless, Jesus said by his stripes we were healed. That's when you get results. That's the faith of Abraham. That's the example that we're to follow. Now we could take all kinds of time and talk about different examples. For example, the woman with the issue of blood. She had everything working against her. She's had this issue of blood 12 years. She spent everything she had on doctors and they've given up on her. She's got a communicable disease. This issue of blood is treated in the law of Moses just the same as leprosy. And she's not allowed, the social laws of of Israel do not allow her to come into the crowd without warning people about the fact that she's got this contagious disease she takes her life into her own hands by coming in the press behind and touching Jesus garment we know why she did it says she for she said when she heard of Jesus she came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said if I may touch but his clothes I shall be whole but she knew the risk she knew she's dying anyway she's in a desperate condition without help from Jesus the doctors have already run their course there's nothing she can do except just wait to die and so that may have given her a little bit of courage. If they find out about me and stone me, well, I'd just die a little quicker. But she risked everything. She overcame the, the, uh, whatever fear might have been attached to the way that people would treat her and what they would do to her if they found her out. And of all the people in that crowd... Everybody reaching, trying to take hold of Jesus. We have to assume that the people in the, the rest of the people in that crowd heard the same thing about Jesus healing and miracles and so forth and so forth, just like she did. Otherwise, what the, what is the crowd thronging him for? Why are they trying to get close to him if they haven't heard about his healing and his miracles? And so when Jesus felt the power go out of him and into her, he stops and says, who's touched me? And the disciples, seeing the multitude thronging him, saying, Master, you're asking who touched you? In effect, After 12 years you'd probably begin to accept something or at least consider the fact that or consider whether or not the fact would be, will I ever get better? But when she heard of Jesus, what she heard of Jesus caused her to say, this may be incurable, the doctors may have given up on me, I may be on the way to dying young, nevertheless. Nevertheless. If I touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus finally finds out who she is. She, fearing and trembling, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. The nevertheless that you put on the circumstances enables you to take hold of what's yours. We could say the same thing about the blind men that followed Jesus, crying after him, saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Blind men trying to make their way down the road, nobody helping them a bit. Why didn't Jesus stop when when he first passed by them? Why did he keep going into the city? We don't know how far it was, but however far it would have been, would have been inconvenient for the blind men to go. Why did Jesus make them come to him? Well, he identifies their faith as being the the evidence or the active ingredient that caused them to receive their sight. So what does that mean? That means they put nevertheless on the fact that Jesus kept walking. They put nevertheless on the circumstances that might prevent them from following after him. And that was a demonstration of their faith, just like the woman with the issue of blood. So the question we should ask ourselves is what excuse will we allow to keep us from taking hold of the promise of God by faith? The devil's out there trying to give you an excuse. He wants you to see and feel. Feel not just from a physical pain standpoint, but feel from an emotional standpoint. All the reasons why. He wants to tell you how unfair things are. He wants to tell you that other people may be able to take hold of their healing, but you won't be able to get yours. He wants to tell you and show you every little thing that he can possibly think of or that any of us can imagine as proof that God's word won't work for you this time. But folks, Jesus said over and over and over, the word of God will never fail to produce. Never. To the one that takes hold of it, To to the one that speaks it and refuses to turn back, that person will receive every time. God's word is eternal and unchanging no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what sickness or disease comes against us, no matter what's going on in our bodies, no matter what we've been told about what's going on in our bodies. God's word never fails. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's a firm foundation for us, Father. Heavenly Father, we know that there's only one reason why you gave us your word. There's only one reason that you made promises in your word and notified us of what those promises are. And that one purpose is so that you can bring it to pass in our lives. The only purpose. For revealing to us the fact that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. Is so that you can bring to pass in our lives and in our bodies that healing power of God that was released through the sacrifice of Jesus our Lord and Savior. Thank you Father. Thank you that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. If we were healed by the stripes of Jesus then we are healed now. That's our confession. That's what we hold fast to, Father. No matter what it looks like, no matter what natural hope we may or may not have, we place our hope in the truth of your word that you said that it would never fail. We therefore declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that the prayer of faith has healed us. No matter what it looks like, healing is ours in the unseen realm. And the unseen realm, is that which created everything we can see around us it's the greater of the two so we know father that we've got a sure foundation a firm foundation to stand upon so we declare that by Jesus stripes we are healed we declare that the prayer of faith has healed our bodies no matter whether we see it yet or not we believe your word And so we say that the prayer of faith has healed us. And now, Father, we thank you that you are raising us up. In Jesus' name, you are raising us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, that kind of faith works every time. It may not work as fast as you want, and the devil may try to tell you, since it's not working as fast as you want, it's not working at all. But since he is the liar, Jesus said he is a liar and the father of lies, just know that whatever he tells you is a lie. If he's telling you your faith won't work, if he's telling you you can't receive, that's because he knows your faith is is in the process of giving substance to your healing. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Nothing you can ever say will be more true than that. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Don't forget.